0: Good evening, everybody. That was pretty poor effort, guys. Why don't we start again? All right. Well, good evening, everybody. (laughs) Great. It's good to see you at church tonight, and it's good you've had to fight and come in the rain. And that's good news, isn't it? Isn't that fabulous? Yeah. Thank you, God. That's great. I want to um, just say there's just some things that just continue to overwhelm me as um, pastor here. You know, um, our pastoral team, we we sort of gave you a week's notice to think about coming prepared for an offering. And last week, just after giving you a week's warning, we, um, during our three services, received over $5,000 from your um, kind hearts to give to the people in the community and people from our church community who'll be struggling at Christmas, to farmers, to people that are struggling. And it's just going to be a great joy for us to be able to pass on your generosity to others this Christmas and to say, God loves you and we love you too. So why don't we give each other a round of applause for that. That's 5,000. It's incredible. I want to let you know, tonight, tickets are on sale for the musical. They've started today, so you can get tickets. I'm pretty sure you can get them tonight. You could this morning. I think you'll be able to do that anyway. If they're not, go and just bang on that information desk, and you'll get service quickly. But that's good. The Christmas Rescue, it's going to be really fun, and it's going to be great. We've got the three uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, and also a matinee this year, so... It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and we're just praying that people from all over the community will come to see the musical and to hear more about Jesus. I also want to let you know that tonight, um, later on in the service, we're going to do something we only do once every five years and it's the National Church Life Survey. Over 650,000 churches took part in this last time and we're going to be having a survey in this service, it takes about 20 minutes to fill out. If you
1: uh, Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we um, love you so much. Uh, we do worship you, God, um, your people here tonight at Wodonga Baps. And um, we just pray, Lord, as we come to look into your word now, Lord, as we um, seek to know a bit more about you, Lord, that you would teach us, Lord, that we may live more for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, we live in a great place, don't we? Wodonga and its surroundings. But i tell you what, there's a lot of really weird people around here. Really weird people. I find it a common experience, when I walk around with Donga, that I see people come in the opposite direction and I kind of get a little bit concerned as they approach me. Maybe they look a little grumpy or tough looking and I find myself thinking sometimes, like, kind of look out and be really careful here. Don't maybe look at them in the eye because they might want to take me out or something. Now, my wife, Michelle, uh, leading worship tonight, she's a little paranoid, maybe I got it from her, maybe I just got it by myself. I kind of think though that uh, sometimes these weird people are kind of out to get me, if you like, they're kind of like my opposition, so I'm walking around, I see them, I kind of go, I'm not too sure about them, you know, they're not my friends, they're not in my world, um, they kind of have their own world and they do their own things. They're really like just different to me and I don't know them. But internally, I'm slightly wary about another person, uh, slightly suspicious about the other person. And sometimes, um, so that might be down the main street of Wodonga, sometimes I walk around uh, near where I live in West Wodonga and um, I kind of walk down the street, I might be pushing a little bend in the pram and, I look at houses and I kind of imagine that they've got people in it who are kind of not my friends, so they might be a little bit weird or they're kind of my, my opposition. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm a, I'm a Christian and maybe they're just like, they're just a bit different to me. Does that, am I weird? Am I weird? Yeah. Okay. Good. Very good. The rest is a waste of time. I as get off now. <laughs> but I think that as a believer in Jesus, I feel like that people are kind of like, Maybe the opposition. I suppose anyone's weird if they look different to yourself or if they wear different clothes or talk differently or have tattoos or piercings that you don't have or play different sports or enjoy different hobbies to you or they look angry or they look mean. I think at times we can look at people, especially if they're not Christians and we don't know them, or we think they aren't Christians, and we hold them at a a distance because they're different to us, because they're weird. If this is you, let me ask you a question. Do these people, do the people out there, maybe in here, do they deserve this kind of fearful, judgmental attitude, or do they deserve something else? Do they deserve something else from us? Well, tonight we begin a four-week look at the book of Jonah. And uh, for many of us, this story is like quite familiar. It's full of very quirky kind of things, like a person being swallowed by fish and living in it for three days and getting spewed up and all that kind of stuff. It's out there. But within this story, there's this profound message. It's a message that we, as those people who have received Compassion from God, we've received His mercy. It's a message that we really have to hear. And it relates to our attitude, our actions towards people out there. So we're going to step through chapter one tonight. I'm not going to read it out straight off. We're just going to look at a bit um, by bit as we go through. So if you've got your Bibles there with you, um, turn to Jonah. Um, and we're going to look at chapter 1. Jonah's in Old Testament, kind of back towards the end. I can never find it. It's somewhere near Amos. Daniel, Isaiah, there. Amos, Jonah. Obadiah, Jonah. So from Jonah chapter 1. So the story begins with the introduction of the main character Jonah so in verses verse 1 to 2 it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me so from the outset we're introduced to Jonah the prophet Jonah the one who serves as a prophet as a mouthpiece of God he's a prophet like um, other old testament prophets so in verse one it it reads the word of the lord came to jonah and that and the word of the lord came to jonah the word of the lord it's a common refrain you hear over and over again when god kind of tells his mouthpiece his prophet to communicate something to people so he's a prophet he's referred to in 2 kings chapter 14 and he was around about 760 years before before the time of jesus and it was at a time when Jeroboam II was king over Israel. Now, Jonah is a real prophet. He's a real messenger from God. He's told a message, but he doesn't really want to take it. He's not all that keen. God tells him, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Jonah doesn't really want to take the message for good reason. You see, the great city of Nineveh, it was actually the capital of Assyria, and which was a country about 900 kilometers to the uh, northeast of Israel. And at the time that Jonah was walking the earth, Israel hated Assyria because Assyria had kind of conquered Israel and treated Israel really, really poorly. So Jonah doesn't like the idea of taking this message to Nineveh because he hates the people of Assyria. But it's not, see, it's uh, the, the message of this, the actual content or the underlying sort of uh, feeling of the message is not actually a message of, I'm just going to destroy these guys, these people in Assyria. The underlying message that God has is actually compassion. It's compassion. It's not like, preach against these worthless mongrels so I can kind of, you know, rain down fire. It's a, it's a message of compassion because God doesn't want to destroy Nineveh. The people of Nineveh may be enemies of Israel, but God still loves them. So he provides a massive challenge to Jonah's attitude. And Jonah's attitude would have represented, like, the people of Israel. It's like God shows compassion on Israel, and here's Jonah kind of like refusing to want to show compassion. It's interesting because the position of Jonah, it's completely founded on his relationship with God, it's completely founded on compassion. To summarise the irony, we've got Jonah who represents the people of Israel. He enjoys perfect relationship with God or relationship with God because he has had compassion on them, but then he refuses to tell others about the way they can receive it the way they can enter into relationship with God. They've received compassion, Jonah has, but they refuse to show compassion. Now, the question for us is, do we um, relate to this a little bit? Because where are people, um, if you put your trust in Jesus, that have a relationship with God that's completely founded on God's compassion, on God's mercy toward us? So do we, um, perhaps by our silence, refuse to tell others that they too can receive God's compassion so they can enter into relationship with God? Have we received compassion as a people, but do we refuse to show compassion? Now, our message is not to preach against Nineveh. That would be interesting if some of you got that. You could be boarding a plane tomorrow might find it but we have a message of compassion that we've been commanded to share we haven't got an obvious enemy perhaps like the Assyrians although maybe some of us have enemies but we do have people around us that maybe we don't care that much about so what do we do with our message of compassion that people can enter into relationship with God by having their sins dealt with through faith in Jesus Christ. So when we see people who are different to us, down the street or across the road or school, uni, wherever, what do we do? What do we do? Do we want to show compassion? Well, Jonah, he refuses to share it for the Ninevites, and he does the noble thing. He does a runner. So verse 3 Look, we we'll be back there at, uh, at um, verse 3. It says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now Jonah shows us how to disobey God with the utmost commitment. <laughs> he could have simply ignored God but now he thought, I'm going to run, I'm going to go, I'm going to go very, very far. So you're not going to be able to find me. I think Jonah is a little thick. Um, he gets himself down to this coastal town of Joppa, where he can get, get on a boat, where he can pay a fare and get on a boat and head towards Tarshish. Now, uh, Nineveh, 900 kilometres, kind of like northeast of where he was. And then we've got uh, uh, Tarshish... That's like about 2,800 kilometres kind of north-northwesterly position. And it represented, or today Tarshish is Spain. But Tarshish represented the, the kind of the edge, the westernmost point of the Mediterranean world. So Jonah is running to the edge of the world. He runs from home, from family, from his nation, instead of showing compassion to the people of Nineveh, like God's commanding him to do. Now I can imagine Jonah maybe getting down to the port at Joppa and he's got on the boat, he's paid his fare. must have been a hefty fare but he's got money from somewhere. And I can imagine him just kind of like on the boat just looking out for people. Is anyone going to find me? Is anyone going to know me? And he might have even been looking out to see, I wonder if God's going to spot me before I can get on the boat. You know, before it sets sail towards Tarshish. And then as it pulls out, he must have just been like breathing a sigh of relief, like I'm out of here, you know, I'm going to Tarshish. How do we go with that? Do we flee from the Lord's command? Well, let's keep looking. Verse 4 and 7. It says, um, sorry, does he get away with it? Does God go, oh man, you're too quick. You got there, right. Um, Verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were packing their decks. Sorry, they were afraid. And each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him, verse 6, and said, How can he sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe, Maybe he'll take notice of us and we'll not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Well you can run from God but you can't hide. This is the great moment where God says, I'm sovereign, you cannot run from me. He proves his sovereignty that he is king of the world that he is like god that he's majestic that he's like beyond anything we can possibly understand in two amazing ways and he stops him by these sovereign kind of acts first he just whips up a wind yep why not let's create a storm a violent storm so that the boat has to stop and it's a big storm it's a big storm we've got these uh, probably seasoned sailors in there and they are afraid or Yes, packing. Um, the boat's creaking. The boat's threatening them to break up because of the pounding waves and the wind on the boat. Excess cargo is getting like thrown overboard, you know, and the sailors, they're trying to help from their, from, from their gods. God says you can run but you can't hide. It forms a powerful storm. And then the second thing he does to kind of prove that he's amazing is that he actually uses these people who do not even worship him these uh, pagans if you like who are just like not even friends of god they worship other gods and he uses them to stop him so in verse 5 they're all crying out to their their own gods you know for help Uh, not they're not crying out to like the living god the amazing all-powerful one true god no they're they're crying out to like their little gods they're kind of Little piece of wood that they represents their mythical god or whatever, or their piece of stone or whatever. It's kind of like these guys are going the more the merrier. It's like you know, let's they're kind of like these promiscuous sailors who are going like, let's just kind of call out to all these gods, no no care for truth. And then these sailors, to illustrate how kind of not of God they are, they kind of cast lots, and it's um, you know to find out who's who's kind of. Uh, responsible and it's like casting lots is like you throw stones out and from what I imagine it's like the, the way they fall demonstrates kind of you know who's responsible or whatever or what answer they want. It's kind of like rolling a dice and saying hey if the dice comes up six it's Jonah and it came up six and although it appears random these sailors in the boat so far from God they're actually probably calling on the spirits to come and show them the way you know show them who it is but here's this Amazing God, sovereign over everything. And he uses these these people who don't even show any attention to him. And he uses them to kind of catch um, Jonah. They cast lots and it fell on Jonah. You can run, but you can't hide. Now, for us, um, do we run from our responsibility when it comes to taking the message? That God's given us to take now maybe we don't um, board a boat the Tarshish, but maybe we just ignore it. do we do that? after they found out Jonah knew something about why they were in this freak storm um, the kind of the Spanish Inquisition or the Tarshish Inquisition began and at this point um, before this questioning happens it seems like uh, Jonah knows something about it. But as the questions start coming, they just go, You're the reason. So in verse 8, please look at me again there. It says um, from 8 to 10 So they asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What, What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. What have you done? Now, imagine this. You're walking through the jungle. Come on, work with me here. Get imaginations going. You're walking through the jungle on some island, out in the Cook Islands, with a group of people. And you realise that someone in your group has flogged a rather large egg. It's a very big egg. It's a Tyrannosaurus Rex egg. I don't know how big those are. I don't think he's stuffed it under his top, but this dude's got an egg. And uh, you look at him kind of like, that's a big egg. Then you hear some sounds, you hear the roar of a rather large animal, kind of a little bit of a distance away and then you hear the sound of breaking trees and limbs as the rather large animal kind of comes your way after the scent of this rather large egg and then you feel the vibrations under your feet as the kind of like cranky mama dinosaur is like running your direction. And you look at the person and you say, what have you done? (laughs) What have you done? I think that's the sense of what's being said here. The sailors have busted Jonah. They're in the middle of a storm. They've busted him with a dinosaur egg in his backpack. And they're saying, what have you done? He's been given a message from God, a message from God, and he's flat out disobeying him. He's running. He's trying to run the opposite direction. Not from a mere mortal, trying to outrun run the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the, who made the sea with a word, who made uh, the, the land with a word. He's got no chance. And those around him are kind of caught up in it. I don't think God's going to eat him, just in case you're with my visual still and your dinosaur head's coming down. But he's certainly stopped Jonah in his tracks. Now the sea is getting rougher and rougher and it must feel like God's just about to nail these guys completely. And the sailors want the problem dealt with. They know the storm is because of Jonah. So they ask him, uh, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, verse 13, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to him. And made vows to him. Jonah comes up with a a plan to deal with the problem. It's a rather unique, novel plan. He says, Throw me overboard, and the sea will become calm. Now it's quirky. It's a quirky kind of thing to do, but it's very, very, very disturbing. Jonah hates the idea of communicating this message. He hates the people of Nineveh so much that he would rather die. Then take them this message. Now my guess is there could have been another solution. There could have been another kind of outworking of the plan. It could have been if he had have said, look, sailors, let's turn around, take me back to Joppa so I can like go to Nineveh and tell them the message. And my guess is the storm would have subsided. Probably would have been a bit more of a boring story, but you know, it would have subsided. But no, Jonah, he would rather be thrown into the sea to drown and to show them mercy. It's a deep conviction he's got, isn't it? It's a deep conviction. He's saying, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve your compassion. I would rather die than take them, the message. It's a deep conviction. Now, our message of mercy is similar but different. Our message of compassion is all kind of wound up in this man, God, Jesus Christ. Turn your life over from sin. Give your life to Jesus. Ask Him to forgive you of all the ways you've wronged Him and find complete forgiveness. Find restoration with God. Find perfect relationship with God. That's the message. Our message is forgiveness for all. Forgiveness for everyone who through faith in Jesus Christ can enter into relationship with God. Do we have God's compassion for people or do we perhaps share a little, little bit of Jonah's deep conviction and maybe we don't hate people, maybe we just can't be bothered about sharing the message or maybe, maybe you don't really believe in the message. Or well, maybe we're more concerned about maintaining a friendship, maintaining the status quo, instead of rocking the boat. Hey, maybe you think they won't even respond, but check out these guys in the these sailors, who were far. They were kind of like worshiping little bits of stone and wood and that kind of stuff, and had then after seeing this thing happen, greatly feared the Lord, and then they parked the boat next to on the on the shore and they go and off a off a. You know, um, sacrifice to the Lord, make vows to Him. Maybe that's maybe not conversion, but it's a definite step in the right direction. I want you to think about the people uh, that you see around the place. The people uh, that you, in your kind of areas of life, and actually trying to put a face to their na- put a face to the name right now even. So the person, your neighbour maybe the person you work with, the person you're at school with. Actually try and imagine this person. Now, do you share God's compassion? Do you share his love for these people? Will you tell them about the hope-filled message of Jesus Christ, that they can find forgiveness, forgiveness through faith in Jesus, like you have, or do you refuse to show them mercy and remain silent or run in the opposite direction? Now, my guess is that most of us here tonight have found that perfect forgiveness. If you haven't, then it's on offer. But most of us here have found that perfect forgiveness. Our sins have been like kind of taken away from us as far as the east is from the west. You know, we've been forgiven because of Jesus Christ. Yet some of us think um, the job's done because we're in. People, can I say something? It's quite full on. People, it's not just about you. It's not just about you it's not just about me it's not just about having a nice community of believers on a sunday night because most people in the community that surrounds us haven't heard about god's compassion that he wants to forgive them in jesus This means they're heading for an eternity without God, in hell. Most people haven't been told that they can find forgiveness, but they haven't heard the message given clearly. I long for us to grow as a community here on Sunday nights, as a church at Wodonga Baps. I long for each of us to grow toward maturity of faith but there's more it's not just about you it's not just about us and we're coming into a time of the year where i think people are slightly more open to talking about spiritual things it's christmas the majority of people have a day off spend with their families christmas we have carols carol, we have carols being played on television People singing about the birth of Jesus. We have carols, for crying out loud, being played in shopping malls. Maybe it's just a little kind of jingle or whatever. Sometimes there's words though. People of all sorts are discussing Christmas. Maybe they think it's a waste of time. Maybe they don't agree with the spiritual stuff, but it's on the senses. So we need to actually use this time of year to initiate a spiritual conversation. I think it's probably one of the easiest times of the year to do it. You know, ask them what they actually think about the spiritual side of Christmas. Why not ask that question? Why not invite a friend of yours or someone else to a service? Why not invite them in a few weeks' time, we're having a Christmas musical. Why not invite them to that? But don't clam up, don't run away from the command of Christ to proclaim the message. Now, it is a command too. I just want to point this out just briefly. It's a command for those who believe in Jesus. So it means that if we don't, we're actually choosing to disobey God. So if in your thinking you thought it was optional to be proactive about telling other people about this message, you'd be wrong. We'd be wrong if I believed that. The Great Commission in Matt 28 is a command not a suggestion so to ignore the command is to become like jonah i want us to be deeply convicted by this truth but i also want to encourage us in another way i want to encourage us to cultivate a compassion for people cultivate a love for people a love this will help us to share the message I want us to grow, to, to share God's compassion for those people who are yet to find forgiveness. How, you ask? Well, here are three quick ways that I thought about. I'm sure if you spent the time, you'd find of lots of fun ways of doing it too. Cultivate a compassion. Firstly, think about your salvation. If you're trusting in Jesus each day, um, God has had mercy on you. God has mercy on you. It's kind of this state of being. He has mercy on us. You're his dearly loved child. He's forgiven you. You are set free from your sin. This is a joyous place to be in. And when I think about my imperfections in light of this, I'm I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed because I'm such a sinner. And that just means God's so compassionate. And if there's hope for me, and come to think of it, look at you bunch of sinners here tonight. If there's hope for us, there's hope for everyone. So think about our salvation, about how compassionate God is to us daily. And the second thing, um, cultivate compassion. Choose to look at people the way God does. Now, at the beginning of my message, I kind of talked about walking around and having this weird little thought process every now and then. You know, when I look at people and I go, like, oh, they're kind of a bit weird or, you know, are they aggressive or whatever. And I was going like, that's such the wrong thought. And I'm not saying don't be really wise about um, people and discerning, but I, I kind of like, one day I was thinking about it, and then I just went like, no, no, I'm going to choose to actually look at these people the way God does. And God looks at these people and he just loves them. He sees these people in pain and just suffering and got the problems of life and he just loves them. And he has compassion and he's going, just if only you'd hear about Jesus, you know, if only you'd put your trust in him. You know, and that's the way he's looking at him. And for me, that was a great challenge. That was a great challenge. Walking down Wodonga West and just seeing houses full of people that God loves, that God wants to forgive. Try that. Choose it. Choose to look at them the way Jesus does. And thirdly, um, practice talking to people. Practice being kind to people that you would normally not be kind or talk to. So if there's someone at your school or your workplace and you just go, oh, they're a nonger. I hate talking to them. Just choose to go, no, I'm going to choose to say good day, and actually be nice, to be kind, to try and develop a friendship. Because, you know, the more, the more I think about it, sometimes it's like if we just start choosing to love, then, like, the habit follows after that. It kind of becomes easier. So I think we've got a habit of... Um, You know, maybe not sometimes being kind to people. And we've got to kind of reclaim that. So every time we choose to say, I'm just going to be nice. I'm going to talk to this person. We kind of develop these good habits. So, but love kind of comes. The feeling, the desire to love follows. But we need to choose to do it. So cultivate compassion. Think about your salvation. Choose to look at people the way God does. And practice talking to people, being kind to them. That you wouldn't normally be. Um, I really do want to, um, just to encourage us to kind of rethink our our position on sharing the message of compassion tonight. It is a command, um, but God's real hope is that we will do it because we share his compassion. We do it because we actually are developing a great love for people. We're choosing to love people. And uh, Jonah, you know, just to kind of give you the last verse, verse 17, he's been thrown overboard... Uh, Because he would rather die than share God's message of compassion to his enemies. But God doesn't let him die. Because even though he's a little disobedient upstart, perhaps like us at times, God remains to be compassionate. And the message has still got to be delivered. So there's a fish. The Lord provides a fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Hear the plea of our Lord Jesus tonight. You have received compassion and mercy from God. And God longs to give uh, compassion and mercy to those who are yet to receive it. So let's go. Let's go now. Not now, after service or tomorrow. Share this message of compassion. Share the message of compassion at all costs. Share it with your family. Share it with your friends. Share it with your neighbours. Share it with your acquaintances. Share it with your enemies. Because God wants to bring people and give them forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, we just um, we just want to acknowledge that uh, we are people. Uh, we are Your people because You have had compassion on us. Uh, we are forgiven, Lord when we put our trust in you, Lord Jesus, because you have compassion on us. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would really help us and convict us, Lord, to communicate this message, to love people, to have compassion on people. Lord, and we might see people just set free, forgiven of their sin and reunited with you, God. Lord, would you unsettle us until we are begin to do this work for you? Would you chase us, Lord, until we surrender this part of our life to you? We love you, Jesus. Help us love others in Jesus' name. Amen.